Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> Just took a sip of water. <laughs> that's a Hi, good Raphael. Intro. Hey, that's how hey. you do it. Podcast yeah, number totally. two. This is our pro podcast series on how to podcast like a professional. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, the before and after. This is the before the lesson. <laughs> well, I guess welcome to Good Point episode two, right? That's right. And um, if you guys are wondering how often will this podcast occur, we will try as often as possible. Um, and, and people might not even know who we are. I mean, maybe you're just tuning in for the second time or the first time. We're not sure. I'm Jeremy Bailey, a famous new media artist by my own sort of definition. I'm uh, Raphael Rosendahl, well-known internet artist. <laughs> Super well-known, much more well-known than me, actually. So I have to compensate with a, yeah. a, a, a title. So today, what are we talking about, Raphael? Uh, today we are talking about virtual reality. And, uh, ah, virtual reality. I thought maybe we could start off a little bit defining the topic because we can talk about the nature of reality itself or we could talk about media because all depictions are virtual versions of a reality or are we talking about three-dimensional digital space in a sort of helmet? Right. I mean, I think I taught a class on augmented reality at NYU a few semesters back and we started the class by talking about, by defining reality, right? I think to talk about virtual yeah, reality. Yeah, that's a lifetime. Often, you could spend a lifetime defining reality. <laughs> it's true. Maybe we need a whole podcast series called Defining Reality yeah. or Get Real or Reality Check uh, 2.0 or Is something. Is this real? I don't know. Yeah. Am I dreaming? <laughs> Um, but one thing I do like to talk about when 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 making when sort of defining virtual reality is that uh, it's not it's kind of not a new idea. People have been talking about it for a long time, right? Uh, have they? <laughs> I should have. What's well, a long time? I mean, when I we think can question about it, everything. What's time? That's true. We could. Yeah. What is time? What is reality? That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's where we're going to start. Well, yeah. when I think about it, I go back to actually to art, and um, there was a, a you know a group of people. They called themselves Fluxus in the 1960s, and they were really obsessed with making art in real time. And they you know they said stuff like, "Well, art doesn't exist as an object; it exists in your head, right? It exists as this thing, this this perceived or per- perceived or perception." Uh, of reality, this perceived notion of reality, and uh, you know, artists created happenings, or you know, the most famous example that would alter your consciousness. I think the most famous example is like you know John Cage's four minutes and thirty three seconds, you know, which he sits down at a piano, raises his arms, and then you know doesn't play a single note for four minutes and thirty three seconds, and what that piece becomes is the ambient audio, right? Like all of the sounds you didn't hear before he he lifted his arms become like. What you hear in sort of an amplified nature, yeah. and so you sort and, of and I, I would I would say that the very nature of art is depiction, which that contradicts. But most of the things that we think of as art, from the cave paintings to representational painting to hieroglyphs or whatever, are uh, depictions of of impressions, mm-hmm. and that by nature is a a version of reality it refers to what you've seen before so that that's why that sign has meaning because you know okay I see a, an image of a strawberry but I know what a strawberry tastes like so that's why that image I relate to it so I find it very interesting this idea with the VR helmet is like how is that more virtual than a photo or a movie or a drawing and maybe that's actually a good distinction or sort of like segue into what we're, we want to focus on VR today and not AR. I think what I just described, you know, is AR, which is augmented reality. And what you're describing is virtual reality. Virtual reality re- literally creates an index of an experience, right? Like it creates almost like a film is an index or representation of reality, whereas AR tries to complement or change or alter one's perception of reality. That's my and, like and, layman's and, definition. And this kind of now sounds like a media theory uh, <laughs> yes, maybe it's getting thesis, too intellectual. but the basics of it is that we both think that VR really sucks so uh, don't worry that we're too serious uh, it's it's really <laughs> it's really more about the problems of VR than the the fundamentals of reality and perception okay well it, let's talk about the perceived utopia like what's the hype all about I mean that's why we're covering this I just got back well, from a I, I think that the hype is that the digital is an environment where you can create new environments so you you have this powerful feeling where all of a sudden like 
you can make an entire shopping mall in a browser window, and that's Amazon. And mm-hmm. and you can create a, a transportation network that's just an app, and you don't even have to hire cab drivers, and that's Uber. And so if you live in a virtual environment and you're not even aware that you live in a virtual environment, think of all the things we could do. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, the, the thing in everybody's mind is like, wow, this digital is so malleable, and if we really live in it and we're not restrained by atoms anymore, then... It's like Lawnmower Man. It's this uh, this movie. Who directed it? Uh, who directed Lawnmower Man? Oh yeah. man, why are you putting? On, never put me on the spot for okay. who directed. Right? Okay, but I I happen to have. Google I hope that fingers. our <laughs> listeners know. Otherwise, Google the just, the trailer. It's it's the, the, the that was the I think that was one of the first movies about VR. The the big utopia. I think that's the summary yeah, of the big utopia of this powerful feeling that there's a digital universe and a human can be a god there. And Brett Leonard is the director, just, uh, just okay. so you know. Um, yeah, but so there, but recent hype. So there's been several hype waves. I think you're pointing to the fact that, you know, like there was an original 90s hype wave that swept through VR. Mm-hmm. We all went to arcades. I can remember my first experience going to the CN Tower here in Toronto for a VR And, and the Virtual Boy, was that the... the, the th- that came out in the 90s too. And it was I, 90s, it, yeah. Did you get to use that? It was an only red... It was yeah, red, it was beautiful. red LED yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. I can see why you think it was beautiful too. Yeah. But apparently it gave children epileptic seizures and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's rumor. not good PR. No, not for... VR no. has bad PR. Nintendo's always been very innovative with the body and video games. Yeah. <laughs> so. The Nintendo floor mat was cool. It was kind of like get active in it to jump around. I have like a lot of Nintendo accessories. I have, mm. yeah, I, except the one I don't have that I've always wanted is like the, the heart rhythm sensor. Like for old people, they have like a... <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think a game ever came out for it. But, <laughs> but it could tell you while you're playing a game what your heart rate right Yeah, was. or you, you score points by being really achy. <laughs> I didn't die. I, yeah. I got points. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Three breaths. Good job. But we're we're currently sort of undergoing a renaissance or like a reboot of VR, and I think yeah. you know, uh, what do you think's you know behind that, or why well, now? Well, for, for me, the the big problem with VR is that 3D space, like 3D pictorial space, is often very inefficient. So, for example, if you want to make a social network in VR. That means you have to all be there at the same time and wear the helmet. Whereas now, with uh, Facebook Messenger or Snapchat, you can just do it any minute with it half mm-hmm. in your hand. It doesn't need your full attention and it doesn't need you to make an appointment. And right. But this goes back to when the internet came out. They call it the information superhighway. And I remember seeing documentaries in the early 90s. What is the internet? And you would see a crude 3D rendering of a highway with a library and uh, a, a fashion mall and you would go into the virtual fashion mall and buy clothes that would be sent to you later mm-hmm. and so it's a really clumsy interface to mimic all the shortcomings of real life which is i have to yeah. drive to the mall and then you yeah. recreate that clumsiness in 3d and it's like they're actually still trying to figure that out today i got a facebook ad for a product called fits like a glove i'm not getting any sponsorship mm-hmm. dollars from them but it's a pair of fake pants you wear that have <laughs> <laughs> have sensors all embedded in them and you press you how press does my bulge button. look in these virtual you press pants a, yeah you press a button on your crotch and then they show like the graphic of like Amazon where the size is fitting to a virtual model <laughs> and then they and then I mean clearly at that point then you can order with I mean it's a, it's a you're talking about friction which I think is interesting in a con in the context of shopping and capitalism too which is like it's yeah. so funny that this is coming from a source where it's like a new consumer good, but it really adds friction to a lot of the experiences well, that we I, already I think, enjoy. I think the topic of friction is something I want to do another episode about because I find it very fascinating, like how convenient can life get? But that's mm-hmm. maybe another topic. But one of the problems with VR for me is also... So Second Life, for example, was kind of a social network. In mm-hmm. a sense, it was a three-dimensional MySpace because you could have your own environment, build a house... Yeah. hang out with people and people are always wary of the next second life because there's so yeah. there's some set there's like uh this came up several times i just got back from a vr conference experimental vr conference called weird reality and this topic actually came up several times like are you know re- especially around social vr which is a theme because mark, uh, mark Zucker is, gave that demo Zucker, yeah. where he's hanging out with people and then you can jump from being in the desert to being underwater 
and yeah, and like Oculus, that. yeah, Oculus just announced this like you can have your avatar and socialize and play chess basically <laughs> with your friends. Yeah, and, and all these things you can already do in apps on your mobile, which is way more efficient. Yeah, and but the the thing that people were you know keep keep bringing up again and again, and it's so funny because I think maybe outside of the arts this wasn't the case, but in the arts, Second Life was like a bad joke that just kept coming back over and over and over again, <laughs> like on every panel discussion. Well, it's the same thing. Like I remember online exhibitions, people would try to build a virtual 3D space where you would have these digital images hanging and you would have to go around when a Flickr gallery is a much better way to look mm-hmm. at, at digital images. Right, exactly. I mean, and, and Second Life really de- devolved. Like for mo- most people, if it wasn't art, it was like some kind of furries exhibitionism kind of. There was a lot of sex there in was like a, costumes. There, there was an architect, uh, Andreas Angelidakis, and he made buildings in Second Life. And they oh. were quite experimental. So he would make a huge pink tower or a, a furry building or just crazy stuff that you can't build in real life because that would be the interesting thing <clears> to do. And then all the neighbors complained because they just wanted a normal white picket fence, normal country home next to them. And they're like, you're ruining my view. Because <laughs> people so would pay for the land in Second Life. Right. And I think this is evol- evolving again with VR. And, and, and certainly there are a few really bad social networks. There's one called Altspace. Uh, there's another one now. Oculus is getting in the game. I don't know what theirs is called. But, um, but all of them are just trying to recreate a worse yeah. version of the but real the, world. But the, the, the promise is that it's more immersive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, more immersive than, than the, your so, horrible So the life. second life is a 3D space, but it's on a flat yeah. surface. And then these social spaces are basically the same thing, but you're, you're more in it. But let's talk about why social, why they think social is necessary for VR, because it could go two directions, right? You could go towards, like, no one says cinema is a social experience, though some people will say... It is because you're with other people watching alone, even though you're solitary, you're kind of, mm-hmm. there's this something, you know, it's the equivalent of versus watching TV at home. But cinema, you could argue, is kind of a solitary experience. You're not interacting with other people while you're watching mm-hmm. a film. Um, but, you know, Zuckerberg saying, I'm going to refer to him as Zuckerberg. I find it easier to say. <laughs> Zuckerberg says, uh, we, you know, that, that this is going to, it's going to be uniquely social. And he's, and I think he's owning, you know, the fact that if you're at home, and you've got this thing on, you're, you're to- it's totally isolating. I mean, I have a, a VR at home and I rarely put it on because, you know, with Kristen and my wife or my partner, it feels really antisocial to put this thing yeah. on. It literally feels antisocial. I, he- I heard about one of the basic problems of VR is that you'll have the helmet on, but you're talking to people in the room that don't have the helmet on, yeah. like your friend or your sister or whatever. And the person will walk out of the room and you have no idea. So you continue talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, I mean, there's this whole perf- the performance that happens for everyone that's watching you use VR. Is but, but maybe so there's a, there's a lot of cases where VR adds inefficiency or friction. So it just it's just clumsy. Mm-hmm. But I think there are cases where two cases where I see it being great. But wait, I want to talk about one basic problem of VR. I don't understand how an image can be an inch away from your retina, from from your eye, mm-hmm. and that you could look at that for a long period of time because nobody reads a book that is an well, inch can't. away. So basically, I've tried it a few times VR, and after about two three minutes, it just feels bad physically, and you want to take it off of your face. Well, I can speak to it living with it, which I have for the last few months. There, and I've, there are a few experiences. Like, there's a game I play sometimes called the Climb or Climb, and you have to mountain climb. It takes a while to actually climb this mountain, mm. <laughs> and so you're in VR. And by the end, I'm usually sweating. I'm really like not only nauseous, but my eyes are like Burning. physically tired. <laughs> I, I'm just like, no, so I, much I want effort. someone to explain to me how it's possible that you can look at something that's an inch away from your eye. That's that's so. I mean, no, but there's there's no being that's evolved. Humans oh, are see. supposed to look at things in the distance, and I mm-hmm. think we already have eye problems because we look at screens that are forty inches away from our eyes. But yeah. this is one inch away from your eye. Well, that's why a lot of people are already talking about, or maybe not already, but this weekend I had several conversations with people, and one person in particular at MIT who's on 
the team, a team at MIT Media Lab dedicated to like IO interfaces for the brain. So like getting mm-hmm. information in and out of the brain directly. And I think yeah, no screen you know, all of the science, fi- you know, yeah, all the science fiction that we've read, you know, or like the Cronenberg movies that we've watched are about this like idea that we might inject you know, VR experiences like a syringe into our biology, or we might inject it directly into our brain. What's that famous line from Jurassic Park? Is like, you you were wondering if you could, but you didn't ask yourself if you should. <laughs> I if it that's just good uh, advice in general, probably <laughs> <laughs> for everything. Like, is this milk good? Eh, I'll find out. <laughs> yeah, but th- this um, is one of those points where. I'm wondering, am I getting old or is technology getting really lame? Well, I think they're like stepping stones. So this is the second time we've uh, we've looked at VR and, you know, there might be a third, fourth, fifth time. I think because it gets back to what we were saying earlier, that there's like a fundamental sort of human question about it, which is, you know, whether or not uh, we understand reality. And by, you know, experiencing virtual reality, we might understand reality a little bit more. So there's curiosity there. Yeah. like. You know, what is reality? Oh, well, maybe this thing that is completely not reality, you know, will help me understand that, which Mm -hmm. is why it's so ironic that so many VR experiences attempt to, like, recreate the world that already exists. Yeah, yeah. and I think the stupidest is when you recreate something that is already way better in, in digital. So if you try to recreate a bookstore in virtual reality, whereas looking at the the find function on a computer yeah. is so much faster than going through an aisle of books well so so like i've talked to so many artists and their first instinct they're like it's almost like their nirvana would be like if only i could get my real desk like i'd love to model my studio in vr and then sit that would imagine what i could do it's like <laughs> That's, I like think the, the, the music instrument industry works on, like, imagine if I had this guitar pedal with amazing songs I would write. Well, yeah, it's like, or, ima- you know, imagine my boring life, but, you know, with a technical technological layer on top of it. With an upgrade. And for some reason, that's compelling, you know, yeah. because I think it would help us, un- you know, understand media or mediation better. That's my theory. But, and, anyway. and do you think the one, the one case where it's perfectly seems really legitimate is for architects, if you're designing mm-hmm. three-dimensional space and to get a feeling of what it's like to walk around in the building that you're designing. I, I think, and I've also heard of artists who will, who are good at 3D and who will make their exhibition in a 3D environment and then evaluate yeah. it with a 3D VR headset. And they say yeah. it, that that's a much better grasp of what the exhibition will be than uh, rendering it as a movie or a stills on your, uh, on your flat screen. Right. And I think as an artist, I've always, um, before I do an exhibition, you probably do this as well. I create like a little maquette of the gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, people do this to various resolutions. I've always done mine in 3D software yeah, to get a sense Google of scale. Sketches. Yeah. Yeah. Like, should I get a 50 inch monitor? Should I get a 32 inch monitor? Yeah. Like, and, and, well, and how will this painting that's feel a, That's a, an example where the 3D interface really adds value. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so-called value. Now, like, can I see myself walking around my studio as if it was the gallery, or do I still feel like I'm well, walking? You know? just from my point of view, I was always, I, I never had a, a natural tendency to work with 3D. Like, all my images mm-hmm. are very flat. And so when I make exhibitions and I wonder how big the monitors or the works should be, and I do that in T- 2D in just a frontal view of all the walls, Mm-hmm. And then I finally got over my fear of 3D software, so I started using SketchUp, and it took a while, and I'm like, this sucks, somebody else should do this for me, and I figured it out. But it really, really, really helped me. It really was no. a lot better than just doing it as a diagram. I was thinking of you in this regard, because I own one of your works, and it just happens to be one of the only 3D works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that took and a long time are, to make. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a real pain in the ass, Jeremy. It, it, people, uh, if you're listening, you can visit it at uh, neogeocity.com. It's, uh, yeah, it's the work great. I gave Jeremy in return for marrying us. Yeah, marrying uh, Raphael and Christina. But I think, you know, and it's a view of, uh, you know, as if you were looking down as you flew over a major city, I assume Tokyo or something. An infinite city. Um, an infinite city. Yeah. But one thing uh, I, I thought I'd bring up, Raphael, is that like, so that uses, it was pretty hard to do that, I think, when you did that, uh, because uh, GL or 3D graphics for the, the web weren't very sophisticated. And well, still, actually, that piece is, we didn't use WebGL or any 3D 
framework. Oh, it doesn't use uh, 3D, uh, 3.js? No, it, uh, Rainier made a custom 3D script himself because all the others were rendering it in the wrong way. So, uh, ah. Because we wanted it to work on mobile and we wanted it to have sharp edges. and then I did so notice this one visual time. bug every yeah. once in a while where there's like a, 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 a tower will overlap another yeah, one. Yeah, that's the shortcoming because it, it's not real 3D. It's a, it's a weird uh, uh, simplification of 3D. I thought, see, I was blaming But it works technology. on mobile. Okay. Interesting. Well, the, you know, the thing is uh, that you might not know is that VR is now possible in the browser. There's web VR and everyone's mm. talking about this. Um, would you, you know, you make websites uh, as an artist and that I think of that more when I think Raphael Rosenau, I don't first think flat. I think kind of like distribution. Yeah. And then and, and so a lot of artists, uh, especially at this conference, were excited about, OK, well, with web VR, like if I could, for some reason, the URL tied to the experience was really resonant with people. But I was wondering what you thought about that. Well, it, it, it's funny. I like to use uh, technologies when they're already spread out, when it's not just the newcomers that are using it. So uh, I waited quite a while to jump to HTML5 because I wanted everyone to have their browsers updated. I, I don't want an experience where most people will be like, hey, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I'll use it once it's like 90% of all internet users can use it. That That's kind of the way I think. And so also with podcasting, I didn't start a podcast in 95. Right. Uh, like now everybody has a podcast player on their device and then it becomes in. But that being said, um, what was the question? Well, I think, you know, what you think about, you know, the, this being accessible. So what well, I don't think out, it's think so it's accessible. Really I think, I think yeah. VR is still waiting for its killer app. Um, Oh, okay, yeah, exactly. So I think there, that's two things. One, so Zuckerberg, as I call him, <laughs> wants to sell. He said early on, I think in 2014, he wanted to sell between 50 and 100 million uh, virtual reality headsets for, for, the, for it to be successful as a business for Facebook. And so far they've announced, they haven't told people how many you know, Oculuses they've sold. Oculi? Oculuses? I don't know. Uh, but they have sold. They did say announce that they'd sold a million of the Gear VR, which is this cheap kind of plastic. That's the uh, low headset. polygon uh, mobile version. Yeah. Yeah, like you put your phone in it, and now Google has a version of something like that. It's called Daydream. But in these experiences, uh, and they, I don't know if they're going to win out or not. But like they're a little clunkier. Uh, they're not. It's not the best possible experience or whatever. Yeah, the frame um, rate is lower. The amount of polygons yeah. that you can use. Maybe, I mean, you assume that'll be fixed over time, but generally speaking, the launch of VR has already been sort of um, less than what people expected, a bit lackluster. And part of the reason for that was it's so hard to get set up. And I, yeah. I thought maybe... I thought maybe people in regards to accessibility would like to hear, you know, as artists or just users in general who maybe want to like experience it, you know, what it takes to have a good experience in it, VR. It, it's funny because sometimes business in general doesn't care about art. Business cares about efficiency and profitability. But when it doesn't work, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, like, we should get some artists involved <laughs> and then yeah. it'll happen. Oh, that's true. Like, put a put a content on this or like, could we get artists, yeah. you know, our business model is we want artists to make stuff for free so we can sell more of our thing. Exactly. I always say like, you know, I'm not your business model. Yeah. But um but, but, yeah, but I mean, the, do do you think that the 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 quality of VR, the visual quality, the the lack of frame rate or polygons that that's a bottleneck? Um I don't think that's the problem because I think artists are great at working within those kinds of technical constraints, but actually for a person to get set up in their studio, like for an artist or even an, someone that's just curious about like a viewer, you know, like it's not that easy. So Oculus, which is like the so-called like gold standard experience or Vive, Vive's even more hilarious. And now there's PlayStation. There's a cheap, cons a cheaper consumer kind of PlayStation VR. First of all, they all require a significant investment of money, right? So at the, at you, the need outset, a, you need a you tower, know, desktop, uh, PC. Yeah, like I needed. To, so I, you know, setting out to make a VR piece and I just made my first piece. Um, which involves uh, VR pregnancy. Kristen and I are working on together. It's actually a collaboration. Um, but it required like first getting a PC that was powerful enough. So I tried to order a PC. There was no PC so that was like, like built 1500 in to 2000 already. 
yeah, it costs a lot. You wait. You had to. I had to wait a long time for the right graphics card to be available because it was back ordered. Then I, I ended up building my own PC. And when I didn't build my own PC, first I ordered an Alienware, and it got delayed. And then all the artists lectured me, "Don't order an Alienware. Why wouldn't you build your own PC?" So I experienced like that sort of techno. But that's fun also. Around. That part for a maker can be. Well, fun. yeah. In the end, actually, I love now building PCs. Yeah. If you want me to build you a PC, I'll do it. Like that's a side but business. But I, 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 I don't think that's the bottleneck. I think the, the bottleneck is. Let's let's say that there's one killer app. It's like oh, there's this VR TV series that's so cool. But then to buy a machine just for that is it, well, I think the bottleneck that you're not getting at is not only that, but it's just like yeah, just to watch that TV show, show sure. So even if you had that, but then there's like the domestic experience, Raphael, is clumsy. Like there are cables everywhere, yeah, and we're moving to the and, wireless world. So called uh, wireless world, but it's like even if you solved all the cable problems like using the gear or daydream it's with your phone it's wireless you're still in my living room and you live in new york i live in toronto these are major cities people don't i don't have a huge rec room to run around <laughs> no in. like but there's um, i'm bumping into stuff all the time it's funny like I'm, to, I'm to me falling over myself if i would predict there would be two killer apps for mainstream consumers and one would be gaming like Mm-hmm. Kid, people will invest in a gaming console and make space for that. But I wonder how much a game is actually more fun than just on a huge TV. And the other one could be porn. But to buy a huge device and then say, yeah, I use it for <laughs> watching my vacation photos. And people are like, yeah, right. I know what that's it's for. It's just for porn. I yeah, yeah. So I think having a dedicated, a visually apparent oh, device for porn is not going to work. Maybe it will be for porn, but you'll find it in people's like bedside drawer. Like it'll but just it's be, too or be big. Under you the can't bed. hide it. So if, <laughs> no, if it works on it'll mobile, it'll be discreet. Yeah, discreet, yeah, yeah. Discreet, discreet VR porn. Yeah, I can see. I can see the marketing for that. Like you know, it'd be like you get. Oh, you have VR, right? Like after it fails, it'll be. <laughs> Oh, you're done with me. <laughs> Once you're, yeah, you're ashamed of it. So you're like, I know, like you'll be worried to tell people you have VR because that's like sort of indicating that you have these transgressive yeah. experiences. Well, that's, uh, but that's but for prediction. gaming, uh, that's the other thing. Like, what would be a more immersive experience? A room with thirty-six huge monitors and you can walk around in it, or a VR helmet? But I mean, you're using this term immersive again that I've heard or intimate in regards to VR. And I think like it begs the question, like, do, is that what people are looking for? Are they looking for more immersion or more intimacy? Well, I'm not a gamer, so it's hard to say. Well, I, I do play games from time to time. Um, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit. And I, and I, and I think there are I'm a lot of people that making I'm not interest. A <laughs> there are a lot of people. Well, it's like kind of become a contemporary culture thing. And there are a lot of games that are. Yeah. Um, becoming more and more sophisticated, and uh, there there were certainly a lot of VR games being made by independent developers. My fear is like that's still going to be you know when you said what's the killer app, it's probably going to be like genre based stuff. Like so, let's talk about some of the cliches in terms of what people are making in VR. First person now, shooters. No, there actually are zero. Well, they're not zero, but there are very few first-person shooters. There's, and that's actually brought up quite often in like sort of mainstream gaming uh, environments. There's no real killer app first-person shooter, despite it seeming like there should be. Um, there's a lot of independent experiences because the studios, I think, weren't sure whether it was worth the investment. Yeah. There's a big yeah. enough market, blah blah blah. But what is becoming like like something people talk about all the time as a cliche is like VR is this empathy machine. So you would never expect that from a gaming device. The Xbox doesn't come out or like, you know, the new PlayStation doesn't come out and people are like, oh yes, it's going to be an empathy machine. (laughs) I can remember one time where that happened and people still joke about it. I think when the original PlayStation 2 came out, they did a demo of an old man crying. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine imagine the business proposal. It's like, okay, we have this device that, that you can share pain with and we imagine that about 50 million people would want this use this device two hours a day to feel more pain i think yeah that's a really interesting way of putting it though like if the ads for oculus were like a man crying alone <laughs> in his living room or a woman you know at her bedside like sheepishly pulling it I, out i wonder uh, if this is hard like to vibrator. follow for people because i think we're talking about a specific demo of vr that mm-hmm. is a, a 360 film inside a Syrian refugee camp. So you really feel what life is like there because you put on the helmet 
and you're in the middle of this tiny tent and you see a family trying to live a normal life but it's just a very meager sad situation and they're trying to cook and they have children there and it's really you're in it and it's more immersive and therefore you you feel more empathy for their living situation I mean, theoretically, so that the, the work you're referring to is Clouds Over Cedra. Um, it's by Gabo Aurora and Chris Melk. Uh, and it, it famously, you know, made people on the UN, you know, when they presented it at the UN, it, ma- it made them cry. And I think there are photos of this. And the idea, like this image of a what VR helmet. What do you do with tears, with tears in a VR helmet? Well, you have to use, apparently at this conference, they're using a lot of wet wipes. Okay. Uh, so wet wipes are key. And in fact, it's something people talk about all the time is hygiene in relation to VR, which is kind of interesting in relationship with the body. Oh, yeah. The public VR helmet in the exhibition. Yeah. The public thing where it's like, oh, my God, how many? Uh, I guess like if I was going to think about body parts that I wouldn't mind touching from other people, it would be cheeks, which is mo- and foreheads. But forehead's a little less than cheeks. I would oh, choose all the facial cheeks. oil. I'd choose cheek oil over forehead oil any day. Opened up You get a pimples. little bit of both. <laughs> well, we're moving yeah, away well, we're from all the sharing. empathy machine. <laughs> <laughs> to, well, shared empathy for shared pimples because yeah. we're probably all exchanging pimples. Yeah. But yeah, the empathy machine thing, I don't think is just that piece. It's become this... It's become this movement behind VR. I certainly experienced this at the conference and there was a really interesting uh, talk um, about empathy in regards to like, you know... it's kind of like digital colonialism. I'm going to throw this word out there, but like it's this illusion that you could have the same experience as this girl in Aleppo and this little girl that's being bombed. That's different. You know, that's dangerous because if we believe we can have, we can know what it feels like to be here. And we're like a white guy in his apartment or penthouse in Toronto. Well, I I think I feel different about that. So if you look at the history of media, it expanded our circle of empathy so mm-hmm. with the Vietnam War is a famous example where they had all this footage and that really triggered a lot of rage about this war does not make any sense. Why are we doing this? And mm-hmm. that was really because of film images on the front. And so if you look at the, the data, the history of the 20th century, uh, violence and war have declined dramatically. And you could attribute that to uh, this expansion of your circle of empathy because without media you can only directly see a few miles around you in your living space and if you expand that through media uh, you can be cynical about it and say most people don't care but the actual data is that war in the history of mankind has never been lower and it, it doesn't feel that way because our circle of empathy is much bigger right well that's interesting to think that way too in relationship to the original empathy machine which was writing and being able to read fiction. Well, the or original even empathy machine was the, the tribe and caring about people directly. Oh, right. Related Sorry, to I'm thinking about mediation, right? Yeah, so, like, yeah. if you read a book or something like that, you 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 know, you feel like you're inside the character's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of a similar, you know, analog to that. I guess the the fear I have is a fear that like it would that that people would mistake it for reality, which is maybe stupid. Maybe that's me talking down, you know, to an audience, which is not fair either. But like it's this perception that well, it's good to look at all the different sides of the equation. that I was there. But well, like a film, for instance, you know, feel like at one time felt so real that the train was coming out of the screen, mm-hmm. right? And you could argue that oh, that made us a lot more empathetic. But then we understood that you know there's subjectivity in framing, right? That a documentary, like we all understand today, that a documentary is not really the thing. It's no, the I don't think a lot. Of, I think a thing. lot of people actually think that Hollywood movies are real. I, they might. A lot of people. I think history is taught a lot through mainstream movies because most people will not read history books. They're very complicated. And so they think they, out of watching a movie, they'll understand World War II better. That's mm-hmm. that's their main... I, I mean, we're both pretty privileged, educated people. How many history books did you read this year? I read zero history books this year. Yeah. So... <laughs> uh, um, well, and you, you probably count, like, saw artists. a few movies about World War Two and or, or about the Vietnam War, and that was maybe your main uh, window into that time, right? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, certainly, like it can it can create awareness. I mean, that's the global village kind of concept that Marshall McLuhan might talk about. It might bring us together, but I think being aware that it's not real, that it's a version of reality, mm. kind of brings us back to our original point. It's all a game. The be- yeah, I mean, I think it's. 
Yeah, there was a funny line that uh, maybe I'll just I'll repeat from this talk, which was like, it's the difference between, you know, we have this idea that we're getting into someone else's shoes. Like we're, you know, we're, you know, you've heard that expression, you know, to walk in another man's shoes or another woman's shoes. But really, you know, what we're talking about is stealing another person's shoes, right? Like pretending like their point of view is our own point of view for a period of time. And if that does help us understand the situation more, so be it. But we can't possibly fully understand it because we're not them. Yeah, um, which well, brings me back to my well, the, the, subjectivity yeah. kind of Then, then you get into this thing where even your brother or your sister or your father, someone you know all your life, you'll never really know what life is like in their head. So you can't mm. just switch personalities and be like, okay, I mean, you're, even if you would switch bodies, you still wouldn't Actually, experience what they experience. I mean, there's a great, the best, so this, this is the, a great segue into what I consider the best piece I've ever experienced in VR, which was not at all. There was no 3D graphics, no video effects or anything. And it was this, this piece where you traded places with another person. It's by this uh, collective called Be Another Lab, and it's called The Machine to Be Another. And basically, it's founded on this, um, this idea. So you, basically, you see the point of view of the other person. There are two people wearing a VR headset. They like to do it with a oh, man and a woman. And you, you're, you're seeing their view and they're seeing your view. And then you have to match each other's movements, like hmm. mirror them. And so there's a little bit of a dance that happens. But what was so amazing when I did this, I did it at a thing in uh, a festival, another festival in Germany, which is that like working with that other person created a lot of empathy for for my for their experience. But you're also such a sweetheart. You you're well, already you know. overflowing with empathy. <laughs> no, every I mean, other people tried it and, and said the same thing. I think, but it was like working together with someone else that was like the empathetic. And, and thing. do you think that if you would do some kind of choreography where you have to mimic each other's movements, but without any devices, but just looking at each other, would that have had the same effect? Well, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And actually, I was talking to someone about this, and they said that's a common practice in choreography. They, they're they a trained dancer, and dancers do that as an exercise. Yeah. Because empathy is so important. And then you feel more dancing. connected because, yeah, because yeah, exactly. you're trying to mimic each other's movements. I think what Zuckerberg's saying is, look, you're going to be in your uh, matrix pod, like, you know, or remember we talked about last episode, you're going to be like, you know, in pod 10165 in Tokyo, and I'm in pod 1014 in Toronto, and you're going to, so we're never going to be in the same place We don't place even again. know if we're far away or not. Yeah, because we're going to be in our homeostasis, like, uh, soylent fluid, like, absorbing nutrients. Yeah. And how are we going to connect with one another in that world? Oh, well, we're going to put on VR headsets. And with a VR headset, you'll be able to connect even as your energy is harvested from your dying corpse or whatever. Well, for, <laughs> for me, having a Skype conversation is really not that different from being in VR space. And what I find interesting, um, if you think of digital space, it enables you to connect with everybody so you wouldn't have to live in a city. You could live far away and still be in touch with everybody. So mm -hmm. I lived in Berlin for a while and I was hanging out with a lot of artists and that was it was very interesting to have a lot of conversations. And then I moved away, now I live in New York. And it's really weird to ask people, hey, let's hang out on Skype. And you'll do it with family, keeping up with family is fine. But to ask a sort of colleague friend to say, let's hang out at noon on that day for about an hour and a half is very different than saying hey let's have lunch right and so it really you only put up with that awkwardness with family other than that it, i think it's really hard well, and so i don't see and we do it i mean you I mean, i'm sure you do it for like artist meetings like there's this the studio visit. well if, if it's if there's call. a direct project you might do it but the studio visit yeah. it, it's still so much better and and so but but my question, maybe what I mean is that, okay, Skype is already a hassle. The headset is a bigger hassle to keep in touch. And what does that 3D representation versus just a video feed on a screen, how different is that really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like would it be different if, you know, right now I'm looking at you on a Skype call, if uh, I could see you in 3D? Yeah, and we're underwater and there's sharks around us. Actually, it wouldn't even be you. It would be like your 3D represent avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a VR hopeful. I mean, for me, that's all about like it's only, only as long as we continue to make poor representations of reality in VR that that will be like a, a problem. If people could think more fantastically, this is me changing gears into utopian Jeremy. But like, if we could just think like 
hey, what if you were a dragon or... Well, or or you, you even get rid of the idea of, of uh, mimicking reality and just you're in, a, in, in an abstract world. Yeah, maybe you're a sphere or a circle or a triangle. Yeah. Maybe you're a painting. I, I was just reading Raphael. Flatland and then... Oh, yeah, yeah, Flatland, classic. Yeah, that so actually you could is live in an environment like that, yeah. Um, what did you think of Flatland? I'm just curious. I'm still reading it, so I'm kind of at the intro where they're describing mm. the world. And, but it's funny, this Victorian class society transformed to yeah. mathematical equations. And it was a cultural critique, right? Yeah. Like uh, Flatland when it came out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I recommend everyone read that. Let's not, no spoilers <laughs> <laughs> about what happens to Flatland. Um, but it's a story set in a two-dimensional it, world. It, for me, VR uh, is similar to 3D movies where also how much does that really add to the experience that the, you go to the cinema. I know a lot of people when a movie comes out, they'll ask, like, does it also come out in 2D? Because people mm -hmm. hate wearing the glasses. And the first three minutes, you're like, wow, this is 3D. And after that, it's just a movie. You forget about the 3D. Right. Um, what I love is IMAX, when the screen is all around you and you, your surroundings are gone. But it's a, I just find this idea of, of immersiveness interesting, but I find the idea of it being a tiny thing on your head very cheap. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. Very, it's a well, very cheap solution. You know, originally people thought there were two directions uh, and people thought that there was another form of VR that was going to win. And it was like this, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's a very expensive thing that only certain new media artists have access to called a cave. And a lot of research centers have them. Did you ever, have you ever been in one of these That's things? I, I read the You're Not a Gadget by Jaron Lanier. I don't know how yeah. you pronounce his name, but he, he was talking about he made a certain cave like that at, at a certain time. Yeah, so like the concept of a cave is that you build a room, like a kind of like a holodeck room with screens on every wall. Or projections? Yeah, it's like they're yeah, they're originally projections, but there's also projection underneath, left, right, above. So you you you're completely surrounded by moving by pixels. Yeah, and there's actually now like there was a cave 1.0, there's a cave 2.0, but I don't know how long ago. It was like a 90s thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember in Canada, the only time I ever saw one is I went to the Banff New Media Arts Center, which is like, you know, this kind of residency for Canadian, well, for international resident kind of thing for new media. And they had a very expensive cave. By the way, on a wall behind them, they also had like an old VR headset that no one had ever made anything for. With the all problem the old with the cave, pimple residue. Yeah, well, the problem it comes back to our distribution argument from earlier and why I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, you and your work and making websites, which is like none of these things were successful because you can't build a cave in your house. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't get access it's like to quadraphonic really music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually that's a great example. It's like it's like laser discs, you know, until it got to a place where. But there's a parallel with 3D movies where they tried 3D movies I think it already stereo movies already existed in the 30s and mm -hmm. you know stereo photos were popular for a while well there was 3d glasses with blue and red too right? yeah so there's been many many versions and it just never really i think my my perception is that it doesn't add so much value to the experience that the inconvenience is larger than the added value so right. the inconvenience of having to wear the glasses and it being 3D space, but you have to look right in front of you. You can't really look around you, or it's too close to your eyes. There's, there's all this clumsiness around it, and it just never... And the funniest thing is uh, they've tried to apply this 3D logic. Well, they, they tried to apply it to movies, and it doesn't really add value. And really, though, the bottom and line, though, is... And 3D they, TVs are not selling, and people avoid 3D movies. But if it, the bottom line... It comes back to like if the thing that you were experiencing if the you know the thing that the experience you were having was so compelling right like i would be running out in the street mm -hmm. right now and be like you must put on this vr headset the and same you way you'd be like you gotta see this youtube it's so funny have you well, seen the one with the crazy yeah, cat yeah. it's insane yeah. now it's funny because this weekend i had the chance to like demo this new work that i made and put it on someone who had never experienced vr before so I don't know how they ended up being an they were an assistant at a VR conference and they'd never worn a VR headset before. <laughs> What's that? And then 
Yeah, and I put them in this experience that I built with Kristen, where like you're you're inside Kristen's body, and you you can actually look at your hands too. We rigged it up so like with this leap controllers, you can see your hands, and they were like blown away. They, they like the smile on their face was huge, and they took it off, and they and I thought like this wasn't very good what I had created because it was like my first thing, and I was yeah. it's like, well, did you notice that the arms weren't quite right or like the rate? Like, no, it was like I was in well, a awesome. transported to another dimension. And of course, not anyone else who had already experienced something was like, "Yeah, that's pretty cool. I love what you're doing." <laughs> but like, it's I'll that you know, first go time experience is huge. But I, what I've noticed is with me too. Like my first time experience, I can remember was like, I think it was at the Whitney actually for a triennial, and because VR somehow got into museums before anywhere else, despite it being a miserable experience where you'd wait like two hours in line to have like two minutes on your VR headset. But in my first experience, it felt like that, but every subsequent experience has been like a diminishing kind of return. So there's that, a novelty factor, a wow factor, and then it it's just doesn't, it's not so compelling in the long term. Well, I think because when it's a brand new novel experience, there's a difference between novelty and something that's really fantastic. The same yeah. thing would be true of everything. Well, right? I, 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 think, I think when, when color arrived in moving images, when you went from black and white movies to color, everybody was like, I want that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's certain things. So the industry will always look for new opportunities because you'll have a new market. And uh, there's, a, for example, digitization of music. It's like, okay, we can sell CDs. They already had the white album, but we can sell it to them again. And so right. every time they'll <laughs> be like, okay, let's make, it, let's make it HD. Let's make it 4K. Let's make it 3D. Let's make it VR. And you can keep selling the same content. Um, but it's clear to me now that more and more companies are pushing stuff just because they want that cycle again but it's just not adding value and then it's not working uh, people are not buying pcs and laptops right now because their old one is fine and yeah, then they're they like well let's make it 4k because then they'll need a new computer but people are like right hd is fine i don't care <laughs> right i mean maybe we're reaching that point where it's kind of like we figured it out you know from a yeah. media standpoint yeah like you can't you know, put like, like imagine everybody's like okay we made a car with six wheels that's two more <laughs> no, I think I'm good. I think four wheels yeah. are fine. Well, electric cars, Raphael. It's going to be a whole new way to travel. It's going to be a whole new ups- upgrade cycle. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah. it, no, I have, I have friends who have a 4K TV. Uh, they're going to laugh yeah. when they hear me talking about it. But it's it's a 60-inch uh, TV, and they put the couch closer to the TV so you could see the resolution. Because <laughs> if, if the couch was in its original position, you couldn't tell the difference. I have to tell you that I have a 4K TV because I, I used one in a show and and actually I had to turn off 4K for the show because it wasn't per- the performance wasn't high enough. But anyway, <laughs> in our living room the other day, I like put on some 4K and I was like, I can't really tell the difference. So I, I sat on the floor to watch it like <laughs> like a little kid on Saturday morning. Yeah, like a little kid on Saturday. Maybe that's who's going to really I mean, we really have to wait for kids. I, I'm always excited about kids kids with VR there was this little kid I met at the VR conference he wore my thing for about 30 seconds before he was bored but I then found out he was like making his own VR games in his spare time mm. he made a record well that's the thing I, I think I'm getting old because all the new tech that comes out I'm like yeah that's lame no but what we're like what I'm hopeful about is that kid's gonna like he's gonna he's gonna get it all wrong and it's gonna be great like he's gonna yeah. like he's gonna think vr that's nothing it's a piece of junk i always say technology is trash right so the moment we acknowledge it's trash that's garbage that's when we can start making something interesting i'm i'm looking for a closing argument here because uh, we're getting near our, our mm-hmm. prescribed time but like mm-hmm. that to me is a sort of a nam june pike theory which is like it's material it's like paint like you know, take the VR headset if you need to use it. Use it. But what but if mo- what if you know, sometimes don't get excited about it, it. like we we always think that technology moves forward. So we always think that I, I like technology news as opposed to regular news because regular news is basically look at everything that went wrong, and technology mm-hmm. is like look at everything that's improved. So the normal right. cycle of things is that things become cheaper, faster, better, but it seems now that injecting technology into things is actually making it worse and so that's my perception that the 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 money side of things is is so heavy that it's actually creating products that were worse than the previous i mean the bottom line for me is like people are having a really hard time standing out with whatever they're making these days and so being the first to do something is now a way to get noticed to make money right like 
So if you're the first person to have a VR, it could be the worst possible VR. It's like the first game on a new console. People are going to experience it. But if you think about the internet, and it brings us back to the internet, my favorite topic, your favorite topic, if everyone has access to millions of VR you know, films or experiences or games or whatever you want to call it, Will will it be any different? Will it will it still have value? Will people if it was totally ubiquitous? And then that's the real test, right? And the chances are we're never going to get to that point with this cycle, um, because like you said, it's just too hard. It's too irritating. It hurts your eyes. It's exhausting. It's a sort of a, it's and violent. It, and it doesn't add so much to the experience. Yeah, like it's not better. Like you said, like I because games in VR, VR are, are more low risk than on a on a on a computer desktop screen uh yeah yeah i mean at the end of the day it's like you can have an 8-bit game be as good as a you know a high-res 3d game you were talking about this culture of uh, the vr conference where everyone is super excited at the conference and nobody's (laughs) even slightly worried that it might not work everybody's like oh this is amazing the dream is coming alive this is really we're at this at the heart of it and we're really changing the world and everyone's going to be so happy I'd say that's like 50% of people and then the other 50 are like are a little bit like us we're, you know are skeptical well wait and see well this was really cool but I don't know about that and one thing that really irritates me because I've been to some like VR film festivals and things and is people talking about like the new rules we need to establish like as if it's like film was just invented and they're like we need to invent yeah. the jump cut that's, like, that's, for VR that's every time and, there's a there's a new medium First, they try to apply the rules of the old medium, and then they accept the new medium for what it is. Right, that's McLuhan, like the history of every new media is the previous one. But like, but what what's co- what's crazy to me is that everyone wants to be the next like guru, you know? And so they're like, yeah, I ch- I'm I want to invent the jump cut of VR, and it's like, no, it's done. Like, look, you can bring a jump cut into VR. Like, you guess what? If VR People was really be successful, huh? yeah. But if VR was super success- successful, it would be like, it, you. you there, there, it's not going to be about rules. Certainly, it's going to be about the absence of rules, right? Like, and so I think you know, experimentation is what it's going to rain, and that's going to be fun. At some point, some crazy experiment. I think everyone agreed at the, on this at the conference. If I can close on it, it was like the crazier the experiments, the more fun people were having with it. Like, you get bored of seeing your desk in VR, <laughs> and then <laughs> it's like I don't want another way to work. I, I would like a, 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 an app where you can wash dishes in VR. That would be fun. <laughs> Yeah, or my friend and I wanted to do a waiting room in VR because you just wait in line to get into a VR experience then you can get back into line in the VR experience yeah. and then back out. And you should do line. that. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But I guess a lot of people are waiting in line and maybe this is a good place for us to end. So uh, if you're still waiting in line for VR, don't worry. Uh, don't hurry to get there. Um, I don't know. I, that's kind of a depressing note. Yeah, just, something just, optimistic just use text message. That's how you... That's, text message that's, that's VR. That's the real social network. I had a student, just as a final closing note, who did an ASCII version of VR uh, in class. Or it was like you got to see the world in ASCII. Uh, how was that? And I thought that that was brilliant. Yeah, because it was, you know, um, instead of augmenting reality, he was, you know, kind of de-augmenting it or removing. And it felt interesting simplifying. seeing it through the helmet? Yeah, it was like very much a Raphael Rosendahl gesture. If I was going to give you an idea, it's like how could we, you know, look at a two-dimension, the world in 2D? Yeah. Uh, that would be really great. Yeah. We could flatland this thing. Yeah, just hit you really <laughs> hard in the eyes and then see what you see. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, cool. Well, that was episode number two. and uh, Hey, share this with your friends. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Rafael. Tell everybody a good point. <laughs> good point. That's the name the of podcast. the podcast. And uh, the I hope you guys enjoyed future. it, and we'll try to do one as soon as possible again. Yeah, we're doing this as fast as we can until you tell us to shut up. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.